Welcome to the Amazon Legends podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My guest today is a techie turned an e-commerce expert, and he's been managing Amazon for almost a decade now. There isn't much he hasn't seen. And he's currently the e-commerce manager at The Art of Tea. And uh, also, he's a huge lover of dogs, cats, and L.A. Dodgers in that order. (laughs) So you can't put the cats before the dogs, huh, Bart? Unfortunately not. They'll they'll come back and get you, Nick. So everybody, meet my guest, uh, Bart Tashikor. Welcome to the show, Bart. Thank you for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's always a pleasure to have experts who spent almost a decade in the business. You know, with all these newcomers, you know, you start talking to them and Oh my God, the stuff that they did, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's terrible. So when you and I first met, um, you mentioned the key decision that you guys had made for the management of the Amazon operation. So tell us what, what that was. Well, you know, Nick, uh, in this situation, we, uh, we were partnered with a, a third-party uh, partner that was helping us manage our keywords. And, uh, you know, we just decided to take the high route with them and uh, move on to ourselves and just bring it in-house. So I think that was one of the biggest key components we did with this year. So, okay, I, I'm i actually glad that you mentioned this and, and even more glad that you made that decision because I see these ads all over the place. And first of all, I have an allergy <laughs> for the term done for you. I don't know why, but it just rubs me off the wrong way. I don't know. It's the first time I heard, I thought, what is this being done for you? Nothing is done for you. Plus, if it's really done for you, it's going to be very expensive that you can't afford. So so you see a lot of these ads about, you know, your Amazon store. First of all, it's not an Amazon store. It's an Amazon account. Plus, you know, we will, you will do nothing. Just sit back and... So that's what you're talking about, right? Somebody taking over and, and, and they just don't work in your opinion. Correct. Yeah. You know, I think, Nick, for, for us in this specific situation, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, you want to have an expert level on your product, not just on Amazon ads. So I think that's perfectly on point with what you're saying. Yeah. So uh, as far as the the actual business model of, you know, somebody doing this, Tell us your experience. Why? What was the key reason that you decided, no, we're bringing this in-house? Definitely. You know, I think with Art of Tea, we're definitely still in that startup mentality. And so with that mentality, you know, you have to be very cognizant of all the money that you're spending. You want to make sure that it's going to the right place, having the right kind of return. And uh, for that reason, you know, I took a very hard look at our third-party partner. Uh, They were managing our Amazon uh, AMS campaigns, uh, a little bit of the DSP. Um, but, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, the results weren't really there. And it was something that was kind of on my radar, you know, when I first started at Art of Tea uh, about a year and a half ago, was uh, we were just a little too young in the business to have a partner. You know, we're spending a lot of money just to have that partner. 
and the returns need to be phenomenal for you to justify that. Um, so with that reasoning, you know, it was on my radar. And when this year began and I had a little bit of time, you know, Q4 can be kind of crazy on Amazon. Um, we actually made that decision. We made the hard decision, you know, we're just going to take the high road. You know, they did a phenomenal job for us and we really appreciated everything they did for us. But we really needed that uh, loving touch, I like to say, from R to T. And I think that's where the difference in, in the decision was made. It's, uh, you know, it's very hard for someone who doesn't really understand tea or drinks tea a lot or is even working with tea every day to make a kind of decision on what keywords the best. And so with my background in uh, AMS and keyword acquisitions and uh, all that stuff, I, I, de I definitely took that role on myself. Um, just because, you know, I love tea. I live it every day. I see tea. I touch tea every day. I drink it every day. So, you know, I'm not necessarily exactly what our customer is, but I have a good sense for that. And I think that helps a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're so right. It's ultimately, you know, in any business, uh, any business, job, career, whatever. And, it, you know, the, the standard saying is do what you really feel passionately about, what you really love doing then you won't have a bad time doing it. So then it's it's no longer a chore, so to speak. It's not something you have to do. So that applies to Amazon operation as well, because with Amazon, what Amazon wants is the best customer experience. That means a great product, great price, great reviews, great, you know, whatever you're doing. And if you don't understand the product yourself, you know, how good is that going to be? So an outsourced person it's not going to feel passionately about it. They're just doing it for fee at the end of the day, right? Right. And, yeah. and that, you know, and that's perfectly on, on the mark. I think uh, one thing that a lot of people don't also understand about these third-party uh, managers is that you're not the only account that they're working on. Um, you know, they may have six, seven, eight different clients, and they have to split up their hours for the week that way. So, I mean, if you're running eight clients on a 40-day work week, that only gives you about five hours towards AMS campaign uh optimization. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's where we kind of really took the ball and ran with it is, you know, we focus, I, I love that you said the customer experience, because that's what we focus on. And in, in the end, we put the customer first, our customers are hero. And so we always focus on the end experience of the customer. Uh, and we, you know, we go backwards and fill in that journey to make sure we're uh, capturing every point on that journey and making sure it's as painless and, you know, just uh, easy to go. And like you said, there's nothing's done for you but you know we try to make it as easy as possible for them to you know know exactly what the tea is what flavor it is and all that stuff and i think that really plays into uh ams acquisitions uh going back to you know if our if our rep only has five hours a week to spend on amazon that means that they're not doing much research on the keywords they're kind of just managing it and i think that's where the uh for us it was a big change uh was the management and just kind of keying in on trends so you know from my standpoint I get to see a lot more of the Amazon business than our partner does. I get to see our orders come in. So I'm seeing what's moving, uh, what's popular, what's changing with the times. And I can make real-time decisions based on that. So for me, uh, do it for yourself isn't really the standard with these third parties because a lot of times you end up having to write up what exactly you want, sending it over to them for them to implement. And then that whole time you could have just done it yourself and saved yourself a lot of money and heartache, you know? So that's definitely was a big uh, contributor to our decision. Yeah. So for the listeners' benefit, uh, let's dissect a little bit of these offers out there because, you know, somebody who is starting 
may find this uh, interesting. Also, somebody who's kind of doing it, but really on the fence with, you know, different offers out there, they may find attractive. So there are two types of offers when it comes to, okay, we'll take care of it for you kind of situation, right? So number one is they charge you a fee. They say everything is included in our service. There is nothing that we don't touch. We'll take care of your listing optimization, your um, PPC campaigns. You know, you refer to them as AMS, Amazon Marketing Services. So uh, PPC, Amazon Advertising, and uh, we'll do everything for you. We'll do the financials. We'll Let's imagine that they do it all. Now, first of all, you cannot include everything. In my vocabulary, everything means nothing. You need to specify. <laughs> everything means nothing. Everybody means nobody. So you have to specify. So, um, But let's say that they do everything. They're going to charge you a huge fee because you just put it very nicely. 40 hours a week, you're not the only customer. So they have to justify spending their time. And and the person who's working on your account is probably making between sixty-five to eighty-five thousand dollars a year. Well, who's going to pay the salary, right? So you will, as the customer. So that's one. So it's too expensive. The second thing is, second model is revenue share. We will do revenue share with you. So right from the get-go, you have. Let's say you are a new seller, and you may find that interesting. So you may think to yourself, well. How can I lose? There is not, you know, I'm only going to share whatever the revenue I get. Right now I get zero. So even if I get X percent of the revenue, I give it one half of it. It's not costing me anything. Wrong, right? <laughs> because what they will do is, and again, they have to make money. It's not like they're bad guys. They have to make money. They can't work for free. So what they will do is on Amazon, you put your credit card in. And the minute that you start running ads, it's going to charge your credit card. So these guys will go to work running all kinds of ads. They will absolutely drive revenue to your listing, through your listings. So maybe you're going to make, I don't know, uh, $10,000 in your first week. You'll probably spend $10,000 on advertising and you'll share with them (laughs) So these are the two business models out there. So do not ever buy into any one of these. You're going to have to. So so what do you do? I don't have the money to hire people. Well, you're going to have to learn it yourself and hire someone who, who is knowledgeable, who can come in and do slowly. That's a much better way to do things than just go with these to sounds offers that sound too good to be true because they are somewhat true, but it doesn't really help you in the process, right? Right. I mean, that's why you 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 came on board and then you said, okay, we're going to do this in-house. So, so let's now dissect your approach. Um, how did you start? What was the first thing you did when you brought it in-house? You know, honestly, when I brought it in-house, I just really dove deep into our campaigns um, you know, I think for me, a healthier ROAS is right around the $5 mark, $6 mark. That's where you really want to be, especially if you're in-house, you know, you get to really control it. Uh, we weren't, we weren't near that, but our campaigns that the, that our third party had provided for us were, they had some really good keywords involved in there. And so a lot of it was just going in and seeing, you know, what can I make work 
uh, going forward. You know, we don't want to stop all our campaigns, cold turkey, and start new ones because you're, you're going to face that drop off where your old ones aren't making any sort of impression, so they're not converting, and the new ones still have to grow into converting. And so we, we really took that step to just uh, go back and just dissect every single campaign, see what's working, see where it's pointing, seeing uh, what keywords are working, what aren't. And then taking that as a blueprint across the board, you know, so we have keywords that we know they don't work because we've seen them. We have historical data on that, so we won't go and bid on those anymore. And then the ones that were working, you know, we, we just kind of adjusted the bids to make sure that they were correctly uh, attributing and getting the correct amount of money. And then from that point, that's when we started working on bringing in our own campaigns. And for me, uh, a lot of campaigns that you get from third parties are going to be very brand, brand uh, centric. And so what I wanted to do is break apart from the brand center. We had brand uh, specific keywords down. They were great. They started churning really well. And so now we started going after competitors, but also making sure we were keeping an eye on our defensive campaigns as well. So that was the next step for us. And then we started, you know, testing out videos. A lot of people in our uh, industry don't use Amazon videos with their ads. And so we were able to capture a lot of the voice of the, the share of the voice of Amazon customers through that. And it's kind of funny, we started noticing a lot um, that our competitors started actually going towards videos as soon as we started using videos. So it's definitely, you know, uh, the first step is always make sure that what you have to move forward with is foundationally sound and it's going to be a good place for you to be at while you work on the future. And I think that's what our method was for going forward with our uh, AMS and keyword campaigns. So so uh, what I'm hearing is, so the first thing you did is really whatever you're spending money, of course, that's the lowest hanging fruit where you're going to, whatever you do, you're going to get a better return. So you cleaned up whatever was running by eliminating the keywords that were not producing as much in terms of uh, your uh, dollar generated versus the dollar spent. Uh, so, uh, and then you started implementing new ones. Now, Video ads, I'm hearing a lot lately, and everybody seems to be moving in that direction. So describe to us, what is a good uh, video ad? How long does it, uh, you know, how do you get that produced? And what is the length of the video? What should be in it? You know, honestly, I think uh, just kind of focusing, like, again, going back to the customer-centric focus, I think... We, we like to take a look at it from the end, uh, the end of the road, what, what the customer would like to see, you know, and for us, a lot of it is interactivity. So for, uh, for example, for teas, interactivity can mean, you know, making a cup of tea. So we have a, a couple of videos with just loose leaf tea in a sachet and some hot water going over it. Uh, a couple of other ones we did for the summer was we started introducing some boba in there. And so that was, that really resonated with our consumers. I think uh, one of the things that my, uh, the CEO of Art of Tea always uh, kind of conveys to me is that tea is one of the things that you think that everyone would have some idea um, how to make it, how to drink it, but it's very intimidating to people. And so from, from the beginning, what I wanted to do is make it less intimidating, you know, give you all the information that you would need um, to make the perfect cup of tea, which is something we do really well on artoftea.com. But you know, as many people know, translating that kind of information to Amazon can be very hard. You know, a lot of people just skip past your content and they just look for pictures and videos. So going back to the videos, that's where I wanted to incorporate that kind of information uh, to the customer. It's, 
you know, this is how easy it is. It's just a sachet with some tea in it. You pour some hot water in it. You wait, you know, between two minutes to five minutes and all of a sudden your tea's done and ready and you're ready to drink it. Or you can make boba, which is kind of intimidating. It's just dropping the boba balls in there. And I think visually showing that to the customer and showing them how easy it can be was a really big difference maker for us. So I think from my standpoint, uh, the best advice I can give anybody who's starting to get into videos is focus on what, what is the pain point for your customer and your product. Try to focus in on that and make it uh, a little easier for them to see and just, just take that stigma completely out of it, you know? So that's what we tend to focus with ours. What do you find as the ideal length of that video? You know, honestly, I think five, between five and seven seconds. And we just kind of, you know, it's on a loop. So it's just, it has to be yeah. something where it can just loop back in, a, in an organic way, but five to seven seconds, I think. Okay. And do you, did you test like with music, without music? Uh, yes. So we have, we've done with the music, uh, without the music. We've done some title screen testing, uh, you know, different tees, different styles. Um, but ultimately, I think what we've gone to is, is not having music. For me personally, I think when I search Amazon or any sort of web page and you're scrolling and all of a sudden sound starts playing, that's, that's kind of a, a little annoying. So I tend to stray away from that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I kind of just try to live within the atmosphere of Amazon. You know, it's kind of quiet, but I think the motion itself is enough to grab your attention because everything else on the page is static. So, mm -hmm. um, do you are you familiar with a, with a service website called Pickfoot? Pickfoot.com. I am not. No. Oh, uh, I'll share that with you. If you if you normally. You know, as you know, the main product picture is the most important. So you want to test, but there really is no way of testing anything because, you know, you decide this is what I'm going to put up as the main picture. And then the next thing is you have your campaigns running and is converting at X percent, whatever the case may be. And that's it. That's not a test. You can switch it with another one. But then again, you, you're burning dollars, time, and everything else. So what Pickfu does is you simply go on the website, you create an account. The cost is almost negligible. And, and then what happens is you create your own audience. You can decide, I want men, I want women, I want a mix, this age, this income, whatever. And then you create an audience. And then you put up two pictures. And you ask, you design your questions and you ask. And within like a couple of hours, you know exactly which one people like the most before putting your listing live. And now you know exactly what people, how people feel. And of course, you could be asking, you really have to formulate your question. For example, if you say, which picture uh, would be your choice? to make the purchase, that's not clear enough. What are you asking? Is that picture on the product detail page or mm. is it in the search results? So you just need to make sure you ask your question very clearly and then you put the two, two uh, what do you call, uh, pictures side by side, start your poll. Within a couple of hours, you have your answers. Huh. That's very interesting. Yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, the cost is like 100 bucks. 
That's not bad. Imagine the amount of money that you would burn through and the time. This one, you know, before. So the reason I bring it up is because I wonder if they do video. Huh. That would be an interesting huh? Because you could put up two videos and say, tell me which one you would click on. Yeah. I mean, that would be great. You know, I think a lot of Amazon sellers come to that point where, you know, you have so many videos coming in from the creative team that are all great and you just don't know which one to use. So I think that would be a great tool to be able to pull the, you know, potential consumers before you even get out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we, 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 have, uh, we were kind of struggling with the decision because a client of mine has a kit. So, and the kit has 12 different items in it. And we were trying to figure out what to do, you know, whether to put all 12 in one picture or just put a few and then, you know, just say kit includes whatever and um, without the text, but somehow show that. And um, and they came back clearly, overwhelmingly. They said, this is what we want. <laughs> huh. That's it. That says a lot of the guesswork right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's <laughs> great. Okay, so so now that you've done the campaign, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Amazon, uh, paid Amazon campaigns versus external campaigns. Have you tried the external traffic route or not? Uh, you know, we, we dabbled a little bit in the DSP, which, you know, does do the external websites and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, we haven't, we, when we... Pulled back, we kind of pulled back on the DSP because I think, as you know, it's a $5,000 buy-in every month that you need to produce. And it was a, it was just a little bit too much for us at the moment. So we kind of pulled back. But honestly, you know, when we were using the DSP, it was a very good tool for us. Uh, we, we actually tapped into a lot of new to brand people uh, just, just because they were able to see us in different spaces besides Amazon. So I always like to look at it. And uh, actually today, I think I was looking at one of the Amazon uh, Ad services that is kind of like more of a DSP but on a lower scale, and it looks pretty interesting. So definitely interested in that kind of uh, tech and apps. Well, the the program that that we that comes up whenever I'm talking to different sellers is the brand referral bonus program. Are you familiar with that one? Yeah, yeah. So uh, that uses Amazon attribution. So, so for the listener's benefit, Amazon attribution allows you to insert a code in your ads that you're running outside Amazon, like Facebook, TikTok, you know, Google, whatever. So that way the system can say, okay, this traffic is coming from Facebook or Google, whatever the case may be. So if you have that implemented, then you can join the brand referral bonus program as a brand registry uh, seller. Uh, as long as you are registered on Amazon Brand Registry, you can get into that program. Then what it does is any traffic that you bring into Amazon from outside Amazon by running ads, the revenue you generate, the gross revenue you generate from that traffic, Amazon pays you back. Uh, mm -hmm. Depends on the category, but roughly around 10% of it, you get back. So, uh, but I'm not aware of a, a minimum threshold of $5,000. So this is for anybody as far as I know. Correct. Yes. I think the DSP is the only one with the, the threshold that goes into it. Um, yeah. But the brand registry is definitely something we've definitely been looking at, uh, started implementing recently to kind of help us not only, uh, you know, gain back some of that money, which I think is, is really great uh, perk 
But really for us, it's, it's kind of tracking who's coming to our ads and, and seeing that in a, in a lot more of a grand scale to see exactly where, where the uh, journey began with. So it's very invaluable to us as well. Yeah, as something to be aware of. I mean, this is, this is a great thing because first of all, it's one thing to bring traffic that's already on Amazon to your listing and then track you know, whether that those campaigns are paying off. But it's another to bring new traffic from outside Amazon that will come directly to your listing. There is no more search. There is no more nothing. You just simply advertise outside and they land straight on your listing page. So there is no more search. However, the dangerous thing is, you know for a fact that if somebody searches something on Amazon, they are doing that in order to purchase it because they are buyers. That's why they are on Amazon. So therefore, whatever conversion rate you're going to get on your product page is the conversion rate that depends on the content and everything else. It assumes that whoever is landing on your product page has the intention to buy. But if you run ads outside Amazon, Google or Facebook or whatever, you don't really know that people coming to your page have the intention to buy. So then your conversion rate may suffer. And of course, Amazon ultimately is looking at your overall conversion rate that will give you the rankings. And I've I've had both scenarios. I've had people saying, you know, we ran our ads carefully and our conversion rate didn't suffer when we ran external ads. So we were fine with it. I've also had people saying, we had to stop it because our conversion rate started to fall and we and we were losing our ranking. <laughs> so uh, that's something to consider. You can't just say, oh, you know, we're going to get 10% and then your rank will go straight, you know, down to the bottom. So yeah, to, uh, you, um, you haven't experimented yet, I hear, right? Correct. Uh, we've done a little bit of the uh, brand referrals um, and we, we've noticed that, you know, our conversion rate did kind of go down a little bit. Um, but to be honest with you, Nick, I think like is it's very similar for anything you do in Amazon. Uh, there are a lot of things that you you can overdo and has a negative effect on you. So it's it's really about creating that balance within all the all the things um, initiatives that you're running on Amazon. You know all the work that you're doing and the efforts. It's really about keeping that balance because if you you know stray too far into something, you might start to dip into the other metrics that you don't want affected. And so I think with the brand registry, uh, much so how we've talked about before, I think the slow buildup is the best uh, method to do anything, I think, on Amazon. You want to get some information, some historical data before you start making any more decisions. Right. So, so that's a nice segue into my next question. So uh, you've got your campaigns running. You've got your operation running. You're, you're doing inventory, you know, replenishing your inventory, whatever the case may be. Um, so what are the metrics that you are watching? What are the data points that you're tracking? Uh, definitely for me, obviously, you know, return on ad spend is a big one for us. Uh, we want to just make sure that the money that we're putting out there is being returned in a healthy way. Because as you guys know, Amazon takes a very healthy cut of your profits uh, every yeah. product you sell. So you, you really, like I said, balance is key. So you want to make sure that you're balancing that out. Uh, another one that I like to look at is new to buyer or new to brand, I should say. Um, that's a really important metric for me, I think. Um, generally, you want to be bringing in a lot more people uh, every month. You know, you want to be replenishing the customers that you may lose for whatever reason. For um, you know, They may not like your tea anymore. They found somebody else that works better for them. 
So you want to be replenishing your customer pool. So I think that new to, new to brand is a very big metric for me. Um, and I also like to look at the top of search when it comes to keyword acquisition uh, campaigns. Uh, I like to... I like to have a healthy top of search uh, metric because that just means that when someone's searching to your point on Amazon, when people are searching, they want to buy. So you want to be at the top of the search. You want to be the number one product on that sponsor ad because they're going to see that first. And that's the very first product that's going to get in their mind. So I tend to look at that a lot. Um, but I also keep a very big eye on our sell-through rate, just going into the Amazon itself. Uh, sell-through rate's a big one for me because you know our API score is very heavily reliant on that score. Um, so we want to make sure we're keeping a, a healthy sell-through rate. Um, whenever you see that dip, you just want to kind of take a look at what products maybe aren't selling as well anymore. Uh, maybe it's time to, that they're at the end of their life cycle and it's time to, you know, uh, retire them from Amazon. Or it's something that maybe just even a little bit of a sale can help it boost a little bit more. So that's definitely something that I look at too. Mm-hmm. So uh, as far as these data points that you're tracking, Tell us where you get them. Obviously, your advertising data is in the Amazon advertising reports, right? So it kind of, that, that's easy enough to find where it is and also look at it in perspective because it shows it to you in perspective. That's that's how it is, right? So right. Um, how about the rest? So tell us where you go to find that data. You know, honestly, we used to rely heavily on our third-party partner to give us a lot of the data. Uh, but I noticed something, and it was very funny to me, because I think anybody who works in Amazon has to be some part mathematician. It's just a general requirement for Amazon, I think, because no matter who you run into in the, in, in the circle of Amazon, everyone's got their own sort of algorithms that they've built out themselves to where you're taking in data directly from Amazon and just dropping it into whether it's a database or an Excel sheet to get in the information that you want specifically. So. For me, a lot of it deals with Excel. I spent, you know, almost a decade in this business and I built out quite a few different algorithms and different Excel spreadsheets that help me really track what I want to track. So one thing I always tell people is Amazon's really great about giving you a lot of information, but they're also great about not giving you any information that you need. And so I think in order to be successful on Amazon, you get to that point where you say, I want to know something specific and Amazon's not giving it to me. How am I going to build the path to that? And so what we uh, keyed in when I was very young in this business was just building out a lot of uh, different, you know, um, equations. So I have a background uh, in mathematics in college. Um, so for me, building out equations and running them through a system is just, it's like divine to me. So going back to that passion, I think my passion's in mathematics and it, it translates out to Amazon. So I love just running information, but I really think that you can't really rely too much on, on other things. Uh, you can you can gather certain information that you need and draw it in for yourself, but ultimately you're the one who has to make the decision. So I think at the end of the day, whatever you feel most comfortable with is what you need to go with. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. You can't really rely on the information that Amazon is showing because, I mean, in this day and age, I always say this, this is 21st century. You can't really, there's no more secrets. You can't keep secrets. Somebody somewhere talks and, and it comes out. And when it does come out, if it was a, a secret, then it really comes out big and it blows up in your face. Right? So there are no more secrets. So how do you keep a secret if there are no secrets? But things, some things are really secret. Then you put so much information out there 
So you don't know which one is the, the, the real one, right? So the, to, to give no information, you give a lot of information. So then the information that's valuable gets lost. And good luck figuring out what is right, what is wrong. Or I should say, I don't mean right, wrong, but I mean just too much of too much clutter. So so it's the same thing with Amazon. So Amazon is very good at providing the, the, the data, raw data, but it's up to you to take that data and build your own Excel files and, and as you put it, equations and formulas. And But most important, also visualize that data you, because just looking at numbers is not enough. You need to visualize the data. And that's the way you can see some things that, that really will help you improve. Otherwise, you can be doing this all day long, watching numbers. You know, you'll get cross-eyed and <laughs> you'll get any work done. So uh, how about the conversion rate? Do you, do you track conversion rate? I, I, do, don't mean, I don't mean campaign. I mean the listing conversion. You know, we, we really do. I really do keep an eye on conversion rate. Um, I come from a, you know, before I worked in tea, I actually worked in a cosmetic industry. And it was very interesting for me because in the cosmetic industry that I was in, the company, we had a lot of legacy products. They were just, the, they were the most outstanding products we had. They were our Halo products. Um, I believe I even had the, the fifth product that the company had ever made. The company had been in business for 70 years. Uh, Amazon was solely keeping that one product alive just because our conversion rate was so great for that product. Oh. And so I learned from an early on stage that conversion rate is actually what really drives you know, the business on Amazon. So for example, at RRT, I had this product. It was, I thought, you know, this product can't fail. Like it's going to go on Amazon. People are going to love it. Everyone's going to buy it. And so, you know, I opened up the listing and I started selling it. Unfortunately, that product just didn't fit any sort of need that anybody wanted. Uh, it just wasn't the right product for Amazon, I believe. And the conversion rate was the telling sign for me. So when, when I was looking at how many people were actually looking at it versus how many people were converting on it, it just wasn't uh, the right fit for me. I thought uh, it would, would have been a lot better. So with that information, I was able to just kind of track that versus other products that we had introduced and came up with the realization that maybe that product wasn't meant for Amazon. But then I had another idea. Maybe that product wasn't meant for itself by itself on Amazon. Mm. And so what I ended up doing was I took that product that had a very low conversion rate and I took one of our higher converting products and I put them together. And it wasn't the same as the highest, highest end converting product, but it was good enough to keep them in there. And it was a very profitable product for RT. So it solved another problem for us, which was, you know, we want to make sure our profitability is really uh, on point at all times. And so by introducing, you know, a, a basically a bundled product, we're dipping into less fees from, you know, shipping it, from Amazon selling it. And then also I'm able to provide another product that people will love. And eventually my hope is that that product will generate enough of a uh, loyalty from those customers that are buying it that maybe they don't need that second product as much as they're going to buy the first product by itself. Yeah. So that's the ult ultimately, I think conversion rate is one of the most important things we can look at. Like I said, it really, really has a big effect on our API score too. So we always want to make sure that that's a healthy number. How do you track conversion rate? Where, where do you go? And then how do you use it in terms you know, of mechanics of it? I use a couple of different uh, apps that I use to just kind of track different types of information that are coming in. Uh, but a lot of it comes from Amazon's uh, internal system, just kind of tracking it against that. I think that 
for me, there are certain things that you can trust Amazon on, on. And for them, I think conversion is something that's a big enough issue for them to want to make sure that they're giving you the accurate information. So I, I tend to trust them a little bit, but you know, with Amazon, even if you trust something, you always have a backup system to make sure that if you if it's wrong, you'll know about it. So we do definitely have that in place too. Yeah. So um, as far as you know, when, when people ask me, so I say first of all, I'm I'm huge with conversion rate because that's really the 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 most important driver in terms of getting you ranked high in search results, and not to mention higher the conversion, the more the <laughs> The, the the top line as well as the bottom line and right. your ad campaigns i mean that is really the magic bullet of all magic bullets uh, that will help your performance but the only place you find that uh, in a way that is going to be spelt out for you consistently is in the business reports and right. child skew level the, the challenge there is you have to download it as a csv file and then you have to select the time frame so let's assume that you do that. So all you have is a CSV file. What are you going to do with it? So you have to plug that into an Excel file to make sense of it. Number one challenge. Number two challenge is, well, just looking at it for the time frame that you downloaded is not enough. You need to look at it historically. What was it last week? What was it last month, last quarter, last year? So all those things you have to look at it. And you have to visualize this. You have to be able to see going up and down. Uh, so that's another challenge. Challenge number three is just looking at it again, you know, visualize over time, not enough. Because what does it mean if it was 8% and it went up to 15%? Why? Maybe you change the picture. So you have to tag the events. So how do you do all this? I don't know any system that has this. So uh, it's something that is that I'm finding. So uh, what is your take on it and how do you manage this? You know, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because I actually was working in uh, an Excel file today that I actually used to track that kind of information. And I remember just thinking to myself, man, this is like the messiest Excel document that I own. <laughs> and it just, it's just the nature of the beast, you know, because like to your point, there's no real one centralized location where you're going to find all the information you need. Right. And so what I do is I just built out, like I said, I built out an Excel sheet and I track certain informations in certain periods of time. So whether it's what do we do this week versus last week versus last month versus last year versus right. last week this year or last year, I should say. Yeah. And I think those are all metrics that you really have to take into consideration. And, and to your point, it, it can fluctuate. You know, your conversion rate might go up 7% but you, maybe your impressions went down 25%. Right. So you're being served to less people, but you're converting at a higher rate because of that. Mm -hmm. And then it's, and then uh, I think for any Amazon person, the question always comes in, why? <laughs> what happened? How do I duplicate this, you know? Yeah. And so for or me, how I, do you scale it, right? Or how do you scale yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, and so interestingly enough, earlier in this year, we had, we had a similar situation. So one of my products that I sell in a 12 count, it's my number one product in a 12 count. And all of a sudden one day, that product went from selling 25 a day to selling 75 a day to 150 in a day. And so just kind of by looking at the conversion rate and all this information on Amazon, you couldn't figure out what had happened. You know, I didn't change the images, content wasn't updated, not running any new ads, nothing like that. So 
my next step is I think what any American does is I opened up Google and I searched my company name and I searched the company name and under the news came up uh, that a, uh, a magazine had done an article on that specific product. Oh. And so that's where I think uh, what I always tell people about Amazon is you're going to get the, the answers that you want if you're willing to look for them, you know? And I think that's what one of my strong points is, is I'm one of those people that can't let go of something unless I know why it happened. So that's where ultimately I think those kind of metrics will give you a lot of information. They can also be very confusing. Like, like I said, if you're dropping in impressions, but your conversion rates up, and you really don't know what happened. That might be just a fluke for one week, or maybe it's even something outside of the Amazon sphere that's affecting that number that you don't even know, you know? So it's, it's a, a lot of different things I think that go into it. Yeah. It's very difficult with Amazon to pinpoint it sometimes. Well, the, Two things that I always recommend. First of all, put yourself and your products on Google Alerts mm-hmm. because that's great because you'll get an email uh, when you get mentioned. So at least you can be prepared. Uh, the second thing is if you're going to make changes, you have to keep a journal. And then, of course, you have to correlate that journal to whatever the numbers are showing. But do not make more than one change at a time. Change one thing at a time. If you make three, if you change the main uh, product picture and then change the bullets and then update your A-plus page and your conversion rate may go up, of course, that's a good thing. But why? Is it? Yeah. I mean, it's probably a combination of things, but now you have no way of knowing what contributed and how much. So, yeah. so that's the trouble. Uh, so I was working with a client and then uh, something happened. Uh, they, sa- uh, they said something. He said, well, we'd rather just go with what we have and launch uh, and then deal with it later. I said, no, you don't want to do that. Because once you launch, the changes you're going to make will have to be one at a time. That's going to take time and money to, uh, with testing. But if you launch a little bit later, but comprehensively, then any change you make is going to be much, much more minimal, at least not too many changes. So uh, that's what I uh, say. This is great. I mean, obviously, you are dabbling in it. You're right. There is no way to uh, really use those files unless you build your own system. And my experience was, you know, it took so much time to update every time I would be exhausted by the time (laughs) to study it and do something with it. And then it would be the end of the day. Usually I'm busy and that's, ah, do it tomorrow. Of course, tomorrow I sit down again late. And then now first I have to update and then gets pushed back. So that's, (laughs) (laughs) so, uh, but tell us about, so other than, you know, you taking over the operation and bringing it in house, uh, describe the team. What is a good team? What are the roles and responsibilities to build a, a su- successful Amazon approach? You know, I think uh, I get. I I think the number one question I get asked in interviews, and I always I always kind of expect it, is that you know what's the secret sauce to Amazon? What's what's the one thing that we can be doing that will change the game for us? And I always tell them the same response. I always tell them, you know, Amazon is a delicate uh, entity. What you need is hard work, determination, and a willingness to do a lot of research. And I, I think that's that goes into play with any business, not just tea. I think you know you have to have a real passion for what you're doing. Uh, you have to have a passion for Amazon and, and the whole system that, that operates it. 
Um, but you also have to be very cognizant of, of you know, what it is people want, you know, um, you got to focus in on that. You got to do the hard work in that sense. You know, uh, I think one of the hardest things for, for me is, and it's just to get in the mindset is to take myself out of myself and to put myself in the shoes of my customer. So like, for example, let's say we're selling an English breakfast tea, you know, that might not be my favorite tea, but it is somebody else's. And so I have to look at it from that standpoint, you know, I could take out what my preference is and see what other people are. And, you know, maybe that they really like a strong cup of tea or they grew up with that kind of tea and that's always been their go-to tea. And so knowing that I, I build that process backwards from that. And so I think that's the same thing for anything. When I was in cosmetics, it was the same, you know, I, obviously I don't know much about cosmetics myself, but, you know, I took the time to talk to our customer service people, uh, our merchandisers, they were all women. And I would ask them different questions, you know, like what is a highlighting marker for? What's a highlighting brush for? What's a highlighting powder for? There's so many different products. And the, the passion that they give you is almost contagious. You know, you start to really love what they're saying, their passion, and it gives you a different uh, vision into what it, what you're selling. And I think knowing what you're selling is the number one number one priority for you when you're selling on Amazon. Because if you don't know what you're selling, then your customers aren't going to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's true. So you, you really have to have an intimate understanding of how the product uh, is used by your customers and then how it benefits them. So, uh, so am I uh, hearing from you that not to worry about the roles and responsibilities so much, but make sure that whoever is coming on board has a passion for the product that you're selling. Is that where you're putting the premium? You know, I think so. I think uh, passion for me is the number one premium you can find in anybody that you're bringing on for any sort of role in your business. I think that uh, passion breeds a lot of things. So uh, they may not be the most experienced person in e-commerce, but the passion that they may have for tea or learning e-commerce is going to drive them to gain those skills. And for me, it's always easier to work with someone who shares a passion. You know, then you want to work with them. You want to teach them. You want to cultivate their, their knowledge a little bit more. And so that just makes, I think that's the one thing I would look for in anybody that I would hire for working on Amazon or to help me with my Amazon would be passion. You know, this is this is interesting because this is one of my favorite questions I ask people. So describe a, a, a good team that it will take for a business to be successful on Amazon. What are those? And people usually go through, like, uh, you need to have somebody who's good at creating content. Uh, you need to have somebody to deal with fulfillment, you know, whether it's FBA shipments or otherwise. You need to have somebody about the analytics, someone who understands the numbers. So usually, and I and I agree with it. I mean, somebody has to be doing those jobs. However, earlier, uh, another guest did not answer it that way. He put premium on leadership. He said, I look for someone who is project management, uh, who has a project management approach to things, who can delegate and lead. So he never mentioned any of these roles. So I said, oh, so am I to understand that you, you would rather have someone who can delegate and then manage multiple tasks and make sure everything is running according to plan? And then he'll figure out whatever the, the roles are, whatever the responsibilities. He says, yeah, exactly. He says, I don't get into managing, you know, you do this, you do that. Plus, there may not be enough money, but 
it's more important to bring someone on board who can lead. What you are saying is categorically the same kind of approach, but now you're bringing passion into it. So if I was to combine, so rather than define these roles, instead focus on bringing someone who can delegate and lead and have a passion for the product, the company sells. That's all you. That that's the formula, right? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. I think I think the passion is like such a big portion of it. Uh, I had, at my last company, I had this uh, kid. He came in straight out of college, and you know, I think a lot of people would dismiss him, but the, he just had such a passion, not for cosmetics specifically, but for knowledge, that it made it so easy to work with him. And I think that you know, people are going to find the roles and. And when you're working with Amazon, especially on a team, it's very much a team. You know, you don't make your decision by yourself. You're making the decision across the team. And so defining roles is really easy. Delegating the work to people is, is fairly easy in that sense. But it's more so, you know, motivating people, I think, is one of the biggest things that people find the hardest within a team. And so for me, I, I want to circumnavigate that. I want someone who's got the passion for whether it's for teeth whether it's for Amazon, as long as they have a passion that's going to keep them yeah. driving, that's, that's I think, the most important thing. You, you know what? They, people ask me who are just getting ready to do this and they don't have anybody. I say, you have to hire somebody. They say, well, what kind of a person should we hire? I This is my description. First of all, a college graduate with two, three-year experience is all you need. You don't need someone senior you obviously need someone who's going to lead the whole thing. But as far as as far as having, you can actually outsource the the expertise in terms of leading it, not necessarily heavy lifting, but setting the right strategy and overseeing. You can bring an outside expert to oversee it, but so you have to own the operation and you have to build the internal uh, expertise. And that, I say, two, three-year college uh, experience uh, after college. But the most important thing is detail-oriented and loves learning new information. That's all that's needed. Oh, yeah. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. I, I would 100% agree. Amazon, I think, is one of those 100% lifelong learning journeys. So, yes. Yeah. And I tell them. And if you find somebody like that, first of all, what we're talking about is a kid who is looking for a job, wants to be part of something, but nobody cares because he has no experience. You bring somebody like that on board and then you give him the opportunity to really work hard. He's going to love it. He won't leave. I mean, you, you won't be able to kick him out because he will make so much difference uh, in, in the operation and learn so much. And that's the best thing that uh, that you can do as a company, as an individual, as a leader, bringing somebody like that. I mean, that's a life-changing experience for a, a, a new employee, right? Correct. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And passion, of course, is, is the, the underlying uh, feeling. So, uh, Bart, tell us if you could change one thing in Amazon policies for third-party sellers, what do you think that would be? Oh man, that's a that's a really good question, Nick. <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I think that um, 
I think bringing back the customer service the way it used to be would be a big, a big help for us. I think, yeah. um, I don't know if uh, many people out there remember, but you used to be able to get Amazon on the phone when you had a problem. And now I think there's just, it's, it's really been pushed out, uh, whether it be overseas, um, but more so the push away from that uh, internal contact where you can resolve something was, is something that I would change. Yeah. I don't know how many tickets people I think open and have to wait maybe a week to get an answer back, let alone get the problem resolved. Whereas back in the day, you used to be able to call somebody and you know explain it, talk to them. They would put you on hold for a couple hours, but you knew there was a good chance that you were going to get your problem solved. So yeah. definitely would bring back the old customer service. So I have a little tip. I mean, it's not rocket science, but I used this a few times. It worked, and now that's what I recommend. So what I do is if you are experiencing an issue, first of all, create a ticket. There is no question. You have to, you have to go click on help and then you, you know, drill down in the categories and then create a ticket. Put as much information as possible, screenshots, you name it, and then email it. Take that case number, then turn around, create another ticket. But in this ticket, just put, please uh, refer to the case number that you just created with all that information. And this time, instead of emailing it, just select the option, call me back. Hmm. So when you do that, what happens is, first of all, they're going to call you, as you know, it's an automated system. It, you will get a call back right away. When you get a call back, you just tell the person, this is actually my second ticket. You can close this ticket, but the original ticket is case number, blah, blah, that I put in the subject line. Can you please read the information I provided? I'll wait, don't worry, and just read it and then let me know what you think. So now you don't have to repeat yourself. You don't have to, you know, there is no more drop line that you talked about it. And then, so no more of that. And then they will take their time and then they'll come back and say, okay, uh, give me a minute. I understand. I'll be back to you. And then either you get your answer or you'll say, okay, we're going to escalate this. And But what it does is it saves you the breath and, <laughs> <laughs> and the frustration. So that's my only, uh, that's my only tip. I appreciate it. I'm going to use that next time. Probably tomorrow. Yeah, it always <laughs> works. This was great, Bart. So let's learn a little bit about you. So first of all, give us a little bit about your background. Where did you grow up? Uh, yeah, you know, I grew up in a little town in Southern California called Covina. And I say little town because, um, you know, we're in the suburbs of Los Angeles. So there really isn't too many little towns, but uh, Covina is about a mile square. So it's definitely on the smaller scale. Um, I, I lived there pretty much my whole life uh, and grew up really with a passion for web design originally, funnily enough. So I did a lot of web design throughout my life and uh, eventually made my way into print production management. Uh, and while working there, you know, I kind of just went through uh, learning a lot about production, uh, very detail-oriented job, which I think really helps with Amazon now. And so I was there for a couple of years and I was lucky enough to just get the opportunity opportunity to, to switch from uh, print media, which we all know isn't going to last forever, <laughs> yeah. and switch into digital media, which I think is the wave of the future, and uh, really played with my background in, in web design. So really took it from there, and here I am now. So really so loving where did it. Your, where did your passion for web design come from? You know, honestly, uh, my whole life, I really loved video games. 
Uh, as my family will tell you, I would be the person locked in my bedroom for hours on end playing video games. They would hardly see me or talk to me when I was a little kid. Um, but that generally bred this just passion for figuring out how digital things worked. And, you know, back then, gaming, I think, was very intimidating to me. Mm. And so I luckily had this very... So uh, share with us, which games were you into? <laughs> Uh, so I really am a big fan of Halo, the series. Yeah. Uh, so I've been playing that for a long time. I actually have been playing, so Bungie's the company that made them. Uh, my very first video game was a Bungie game called Marathon, which is what Halo is based on. So that's one of like the very first games I've ever played. Um, but Madden, I really loved uh, NFL's Madden. I actually played professionally when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. uh, back before esports were a big thing, I would go to a couple tournaments and play in them. So definitely a big Madden fan. So... You know, people playing video games, it's not a social activity. You know, you're doing it all by yourself. So did you, were you, were, were you an introvert or are, are you, I should say, are you an introvert or would you rather be on your own and then, you know, enjoy your, your own company or how was that? You know, I think it was a mixture. Uh, I'm the youngest of four brothers and my brothers were all, a lot older, not a lot, but get mad at me if I say that. They're a little older than me. So they were, when I was in elementary school, some of them were graduating high school. So oh. it was just bread of necessity. I think for me, I really enjoy, I can enjoy myself playing video games, but I am extroverted. So I am the kind of person that likes to get out there and talk to people. Um, so I would say a little mix of both. So you get your energy from interaction. Correct. Yes. So how did that factor into the because video games, you know how it is when you start playing, it's like hours, you can spend hours. So how do you get energized uh, when you just all by yourself playing the game? You know, honestly, it's funny. I, uh, I played a lot of video games when I was a little kid and I'd go through them pretty fast. Like my parents would have to keep up with me. And I think the interactive energy that I would get was going to school the next day and talking to my friends and being like, I'm like you know, I beat this oh, game or are you guys on this level? Like, how are you guys playing that? And then eventually when the internet came out and became a lot more prominent, then we started getting, you know, voice chat. So when Halo, like for example, Halo didn't have a multiplayer component when it first came out, but there was an app that you could use similar to Discord or Skype. And it would allow you to connect to other people who had that app to play online. And so that was like one of my first ventures out into that. So for me, I, I am extroverted, but I'm not necessarily always needing to be physically present with somebody. I, like I can get that kind of energy from just communicating with people. So you are the, the transformed model of, uh, you know, of human beings, so to speak. You, you, <laughs> you do not require the physical presence, but you require the human interaction. And you find that in the virtual world is possible to do that. So. I see. So I think what I'm hearing is you you have uh, you definitely need interaction for the energy, but it's the aftermath of the video game that gives you that energy. And that aftermath is, of course, the interaction with people. So it's almost like video game. Playing the video games was just the, the precursor for you to be able to interact with other people. Oh yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those things where at first you just like playing video games, but then, you know, being able to interact with other people definitely plays into it. Yeah. You want to it's be just relevant. a subject. Yeah. Yeah. 
it'd be like music, you know, you, you, you listen to music, uh, whatever it is, and a new CD of your favorite artist comes out and you want to get that because not only do you want to listen to it, but you want to know what your friends kind of think about the same music. So there's definitely that talking point that comes from any sort of activity, I think. Yeah. And also video games are great for creativity. You know, it's, it's all about this. It's the product of imagination. So somebody sat down and imagined the storyline and everything and you, you emerge uh, completely, you know, with different kinds of thoughts and, so uh, I think, I mean, there is a concept called gamification, right? So, yeah. Uh, so in fact, I had a, a guest who was the business lead at Amazon to build Seller Central. And he was telling me, you know, his, his episode is not uh, released yet. It's going to be released in the future. But he was telling me that his first assignment when he was hired by Amazon was to create gamification in Seller Central. So he built the whole thing about, you know, assigning points, like if you reach so many orders per day or whatever. So he had this whole gamification concept implemented, but then they pulled the project. Hmm. And to this day, it's not gone anywhere. But because he learned Seller Central so much in the process, they said, okay, we want you to come and lead Seller Central developments. <laughs> so it was the game. So here... Yeah, he started with games and he got hired at Amazon and created Seller Central. And here you are, you started video games and now you're running the operation. So that's great. So, uh, Bart, uh, give us your contact information. How can people reach out? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, I'm available by email, B-A-R-T at artoft.com. Um, it's probably the best way to, to get a hold of me, I think. Great. Great. I'm sure you'll hear from people. I mean, I play video games myself, but I don't play like too many games. I just stick to one and I get inspired to build our software system. So that's my uh, that's my reason. Plus, it's a way to um, kind of get rid of some stress. Yeah. So, um, so I'm, uh, thank you very much. This was great, Bart. Thank you for having me, Nick. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. Thank you for being here. And this brings us to the end of another episode. And I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.